Scripture this morning is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and, from, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. may be seated. It's probably uh, obvious from all of the the consistent theme of our singing this morning that our lesson uh, is going to be about the Word of God. How should we view the Word of God? And as I was thinking about... Uh, that idea, how should we view the Word of God? I decided to do a little Google search. Uh, mo- how does the modern culture view Scripture? I-, I was totally unaware of this Gallup report that was published. Uh, you'll see there May 15, 2017. And there's your answer. This is how the culture at least as of 2017, views Scripture. Record few Americans believe Bible is literal Word of God. According to the report, fewer than one in four Americans, 24%, now believe the Bible is the actual Word of God and is to be taken literally, but word for word. There's, there's a member of this congregation that, that told me, I think three or four times, he read through the Bible three or four times Last year, and as he was talking to me about that, what he, what he said was, when I read this book, God is talking to me. He's talking to me. Why is he going to read through the Bible three or four times in a year? Because he said, when I read this book, God's speaking to me. And, and now you have a record low number of people who believe that that is still the case. That that book, I hope you have one with you this morning, that that book is God's literal word for man today. The report revealed 26% view the Bible as a book of fables, legends, history, moral precepts recorded by man. The, the end of the article says the bottom line, and then, and then these words, over the past three decades, Americans view the Bible as the literal word of God has been declining while their view that the Bible is a collection of fables, myths, and history recorded by man has been increasing. That that high view of Scripture is declining. The low view of Scripture is increasing. How then here's the question how should we how should we view the Bible? How should we look at it? Can, can I ask you to think about something we're not just trying to prove a point this morning, but if, if the Bible really is what it claims to be, shouldn't that change our attitude towards it? If God were standing before you this morning instead of me, wouldn't that change the way you listen? If you really believe that He's speaking through the pages of this book, would, would you have to be urged to turn off the TV and listen to Him? Our faith should affect our lifestyle. 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, you know, a light unto my path. Are we, are we letting this word direct our steps? It's not enough to answer the question. The answer should change our behavior. It should rearrange our, our priorities. Well, let's answer the question. How, how should we view the Bible? Number one, we, we should view the Bible as the divinely inspired word of God. That, that's what the Bible says about itself. Now, I want you to see some, some things about, you know, when we say divinely inspired. And here's, here's how that's explained. When the Bible talks about inspiration, it's describing that supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit on the writers of the Bible, which is guaranteed, or which guaranteed the total trustworthiness of everything they wrote. Now, notice some of these words, if you'll advance the slide for me, Brett. You'll, you'll hear, you know, we believe in inspiration. And then some more, you know, theological discussions, you'll see these words plenary and verbal. I just want you to know what they mean. The inspiration that the Bible claims for itself is plenary in the sense that it extended to all parts of the Bible and verbal in the sense that it extended not only to the thoughts of the writers, but also to the very words that they used. Now, let's just listen this morning as, as God speaks to us through His Word, what does the Bible say about itself? I want to start with a passage Tim already read out of 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. We've said many times that, that the word inspiration, as you read it uh, in some translations, all Scripture is given by inspiration. That, that, that word is actually a compound word Theotnustos, God breathed. And so when Jesus in Matthew 4 and verse 4 talks about the fact that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What, what you have, if you have a Bible, you have the words that came directly from the mouth of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, we're told that prophecy never came by the will of man. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It's not something men made up. It's something that men were given. They, they spoke as they were, this translation says, moved. As they were carried along, one translation says, by the Holy Spirit. You, you have some great statements from the Old Testament in Second Samuel 23 and verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. And listen, His Word... God, you, you can invent, God takes His Word, the prophet says, He put His Word on my tongue. Whose words? Not my words, they're God's words. Well, what's the prophet speaking? The words that God put in His mouth, the words that God put on His tongue. Jeremiah 1 and verse 9, the Lord put forth His hand, He touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, God is saying to him, behold, I've put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah, what are you, what are you gonna say? I'm going to say the words that God put in my mouth. They're not my words. They're God's words. The Christians in the first century understood this. That this was clearly explained even as the New Testament is being revealed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Listen, that we might know the things that have been 
freely given to us by God. Where did these things come from? All of these things that Paul is writing to, to the believers in the ancient city of Corinth. Where did all of these things come from? Not from a spirit of the world, but from the spirit of God. And they've been freely given to us by God. He finishes that verse by saying these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but the holy which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The words are not man's words. The words are God's words. So, someone has said what you've got here is a book that is divine in authorship and human in penmanship. They're God's words and He used men to write them down. How, how are we going to view the Bible? Well, it's the divinely inspired Word of God. It's the final revelation of God to man. And, and so a question that, that some might ask is, is that accurate to say that the, that the Bible is God's final word? You, you know, you'll hear people say sometimes, well, you know, God spoke to me, or God's Spirit moved in my heart, or I feel like God is leading me. And, and, and I want to tell you that the Bible is pretty clear about all of that. The Bible is the final revelation of God to man. God is not going to say something different to me than what He's already said in His Word. God is not going to speak to me and He's not going to speak to you today or tomorrow or some other day in the future and say something that contradicts what He's already said in the revealed Word He's given to us. You say, well... Can you prove that from the Scripture? When Jesus was talking to His disciples in John chapter 16, in verses 12 and 13, He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. There's more. You're not ready for it right now. However, when the Spirit of truth comes, what's He going to do? He will guide you into how much truth. He's Jesus doesn't say He's going to give you a little bit now. And a little bit later, and then, and then years after you're gone, he's going to give more and an additional and, no, the Spirit's going to come and he's going to guide you into all the truth. Notice, and we'll see this again later, he's not going to speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he'll declare to you the things that are to come. If God has already given us all the truth he intended to give, There's not going to be additional truth. How can you give all the truth and they say, wait a second, now there's more. No, he already gave us all the truth. In fact, another passage similar to this one is 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, where we're told that his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Is there something you need that God hasn't already provided? Is there some special, unique situation that you're facing that, that the Bible doesn't address? And now God, apart from revealed Scripture that we've you know received word that we've already got, now He's got to speak to your unique situation. That's not what that verse says. What it says is, through His divine power, He's already given us everything we need, all that we need. For life and godliness. You know, I don't think that means that that God has told us everything He knows. 
or everything we want to know. But he's revealed in the word that he's given to us everything we need to know for life and godliness. And, and Paul, you know, Paul was pretty clear about this. It, it, on modern, modern ears, it may sound judgmental, a little bit harsh or legalistic, but I'm going to tell you we should take this warning to heart when in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than, you know, what you've preached, uh, what we've preached to you, let him be a curse. If we said before we, we say again, if anyone preaches another gospel than what you've received, let him be accursed or condemned. Think about the fact that there are people who say they've had a vision. They've seen an angel in their dream, and the angel's told them, you know, some specific thing to do. Listen, he said, if an angel says something to you, even if it's an angel or an apostle of Christ that says something that is contradictory to the, to the revealed word you've already received, they're going to be condemned for that. Jude in verse 3 of that little book, and we're not going to read the whole verse, but here towards the end you notice he, he's exhorting them to contend earnestly for the faith. The faith is, is a specific, that definite article is in the original language. He's not talking about subjective faith, my faith, your faith, my, my mom and dad's faith, my grandparents' faith. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the co- complete system of of Christian belief, and it has been once for all delivered to the saints, once for all people, once for all places, once for all time. The next time God speaks, the next time we hear God's voice is going to be at the judgment. And when He speaks, He's not going to speak to give us additional information. He's going to speak in regard to judgment based on the truth He's already given us. Jesus said that if you reject His Word, there's a judge for the one who rejects My words. The very Word which I've spoken to you will judge you on the last day. We should view the Bible then because of what we've read so far that that it's from God and it's His last word to man. We should view it as having God's full authority. It is fully authoritative. Now I want you to follow a progression of passages. I want to, I want to read them first. And then I want you to think about what, what we're reading together. I want, to, I want to start, if you bring that up for me, Brett. In Acts 2.42, what did the earliest Christians devote themselves to? This passage says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then the next verse that we want to look at here, if you could just kind of keep advancing that for me, Brad, is John 14, 26. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then in, in, that, in that kind of same context of the Gospel of John, as Jesus is preparing His disciples for His departure, He says when the Spirit of truth comes, He's going to guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on His own authority. Whatever He hears, He'll speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine 
and declare it to you. And then finally, notice what Jesus says in John 7 and verse 16. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. What we're trying to do here is establish a chain of authority. The early church got their doctrine from the apostles. They believe what they believe because of what the apostles taught. The apostles received their doctrine by inspiration from the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't just make that up. He didn't take from what was His. He took His message from Jesus and He passed that on to the apostles. But you know what's remarkable is that statement right there. Jesus said, you know, I wasn't just flying by the seat of my pants. I wasn't making stuff up as I went along. The only thing Jesus ever taught is what he received from the one who sent him. What do you have? You have a chain of authority. God gives his word to Jesus. Jesus gives it to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives it to the apostles. The apostles teach it to the early church. What happens then? The the early church understands in the book of Thessalonians that that the word they receive was not the word of man. He says you didn't receive it that way. You received it as it actually is, the word of God that's at work in you who believe. He's commending them because when they heard the message, they understood this isn't coming from Paul. Paul isn't the final authority. This message is coming from God. And elsewhere, as we read through Scripture, clearly the, the, the writers are saying, I'm not making this up. This word isn't my word, it's from God. And so in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet, if you think you're spiritual, he should, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. Here's what is disturbing to me, is that there are people who think they're spiritual, but they're too spiritual for the word that God has given us. They're, they're so spiritual that they, they, they know more than what's in this book. They think God speaks to them apart from and sometimes in contradiction to the word we've received. And what Paul says, if you're spiritual, if you're really a spiritually minded person, then you will acknowledge the things that, that are written, these are actually the command of the Lord. And there, therefore, in, in verse, uh, uh, excuse me, First Thessalonians four eight. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives you His Holy Spirit. And sometimes people will read the Bible and they say, "I don't like what Paul said here," or "I don't like this what Peter wrote," or over here in Luke's Gospel, "I don't, I don't like this what Luke." When people do that, they think that they are dis disregarding the human messenger and that's not what they're doing they are rebelling against the original source of the message they are refusing to to submit to the authority of god the word is not man's word it's god's word because it's god's word it has all authority Next, you'll notice it is God's instrument for for saving the lost. Some great phrases or slogans that that came out of the Restoration Movement. The Bible only makes 
Christians only and the only Christians. What, what that means, when we understand that slogan, is that when we teach the Bible, the only thing the Bible will make is a Christian. Not, not any brand of a Christian, but, but the Bible only. If you teach only the Bible, the only thing that it will make, if, if this is, and it is viewed by God and, and described in His Word as a seed, and if we plant the seed of God's Word in, in a heart that is receptive to it, honest and good hearts, there's only one thing it will produce. It will produce a Christian and nothing but a Christian. And when we say it's an instrument for saving the lost, we have 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, how from infancy you know the Scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. We have James 1 and verse 21, that we're to lay aside all filthiness, the overflow of wickedness. We're to receive with meekness the implanted Word. Why? It's able to save your soul. Uh, Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul's not ashamed of the Gospel. Because he knows that it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That the Word of God tells us certain facts that need to be believed and commands that need to be obeyed and promises that we then can can receive. It, it tells us who Jesus is. It tells us what He's done for us. It tells us how to respond to that. That the Bible is the only reliable source that answers the question, what must I do to be saved? There are other answers given. But the only reliable answers are found in the Word that God has given to us. And so it plays a vital role in in leading men to salvation in Christ. It introduces us to Jesus. It's only through the inspired Word that we can come to know who He is and come to a greater appreciation of the sacrifice He made for us. And again, it's the only safe guide that shows us how to respond to that sacrifice. Finally, it's God's tool. We should view the Bible as God's tool for growth. I think that you're here this morning because you want to grow. And I just want to be honest, you need to understand there's not going to be any growth apart from a healthy diet. You've got to have a steady diet of God's Word. That has to be a part of your spiritual growth plan. Peter said it this way, He said, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk that you may uh, grow up in your salvation. This this pure spiritual milk of God's Word, it's how we grow. It's how we develop and thrive. We mentioned this passage several times in 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. But at the end of that verse, notice that the inspired Word that will teach and rebuke and correct and train so that, here's the reason, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There isn't anything the Bible commands us to do that it doesn't equip us to do adequately. The Bible asks us to do a certain thing. It also teaches us how to do that thing. Well, if you look at that, according to Paul, the Bible is profitable for teaching. So you can know exactly what you're supposed to do with your life. It's profitable for rebuking so that you can know what not to do with your life. The Bible is profitable for correction, so if, you're, if you do something you're not supposed to do, you're always going to know how to fix it. And the Bible is profitable for training in righteousness, so when you get back on that path of righteousness, you, you get back to where God wants you to be, you have a positive plan to keep you on that path. You're not going to get off that path again. And that's how the Bible 
helps you grow until you're fully equipped for every good work. I want to return to where we started. Uh, that, that quote at the beginning, over the past three decades, Americans view the Bible as the literal word of God has been declining. Uh, their view that the Bible is a collection of fables, myths, and history recorded by man has been increasing. Here's what I left out. At the end of that article, it said the shift is most pronounced amongst young adults, indicating the trend is likely to accelerate in years ahead. It, this, this trend to have a low view of the Bible, to, to no longer believe that it is God's inspired word, His final word, with all the authority of God behind it that teaches us how to be saved and how to grow in our faith. That, that trend to no longer see the Bible that way is really coming from young people. So the question as we conclude is what do we do about that? What can we do? Uh, I don't know if when you came in you saw all the tables out here, you even understand that we've kind of designated this as a special day for teachers. One thing you can do is you can volunteer. You, you can be a person who studies God's Word. You know, we were studying Hebrews on Sunday morning, and Hebrews talks about by this time you ought to be teachers, but, but you're, still, you're still students learning some of the elementary principles of God's Word. We need people to volunteer, to prepare themselves through an earnest and diligent study of God's Word so that you can teach little children. I hope when, when we are finished in here, we say the final prayer, the closing prayer, that you'll go out to these tables and you'll find out how you can be involved in changing the way that children think about God by changing the way they think about the Word of God. We don't just want to convince them that God speaks through the Bible. We want them to meet God. We want them to know who He is as He introduces Himself to us through the inspired Word that He's, that he's given now, here's the other thing. Uh, there needs to be a change, and I hope, I hope, I don't want to offend anybody, but I want to, I want to convict. We need to reconsider our priorities. We need to stop allowing ourselves to use our children uh, as an excuse. I mean, we're, we're wrestling with these kids. It's so hard. I mean, it's just so hard to get, get up and get them all ready and get here. We need to look at our children as the great reason. They're not our excuse for staying home. They're, they're part of the most important reason that we want to be here. There are, there are young adults whose parents made that commitment. There, there are young parents in this audience this morning... And your mom and dad made sure, as Fred, I thought, beautifully described at the beginning of this service. Your parents made a commitment to you. They got you here. They made sure you were in Bible class. They made sure you were in worship. And they trained you to know and love and serve the Lord. You owe that. You owe that to your children. I know you love your children. And, and I prayed a lot about this. I, I prayed a lot about what I'm saying this morning. I, I, I don't want to be judgmental, legalistic, mean-spirited. 
But I don't want to be so afraid of hurting feelings that I don't say what needs to be said. And what needs to be said is when the kingdom comes first in your life, you don't need to be told to get up and get your kids to Bible class. You're going to do it. Because you know the value of it. You know, sometimes simple statements are so powerful. And Brad, thank you for that beautiful prayer at the beginning of our service this morning. And when he finished his prayer, I wrote down the words he said, If we live by your Bible, the end will be good for us. What a great statement. I mean, is that not the, is not, is that not the thrust of the, whole, of the whole book? If you live by the Bible, the end is going to be good for you. What kind of end do you want to have? You want it to be good There are people here this morning that need to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. There are those that need to repent and be restored. And there's some that need to do some real soul searching and renew commitment and re-examine priorities. And some may want to come publicly as we stand and sing.